we're grateful to have everybody here from Rancho and Riverside. And man, I don't know what's going on. I think it was probably you guys, but man, there's something going on in here today uh, that that we like to say is going on here all the time, but uh, it's a little extra today. So uh, we'll just say it's you guys. So thank you for being here. Uh, we're excited uh, to continue our series called What's Your Story? And talking about Jesus' personal interactions with people through the Gospels. And how Jesus didn't just come to save the crowds, but he came for each person individually, and he, he's coming for us personally as well. And uh, as we get started here, I want to, uh, this is the last service for somebody and the first service for somebody in a while. Uh, so we have uh, Glendy, uh, where's Glendy? Glendy in the very back, got to stand up, I can't even see you back there. There she is. Say goodbye to Glendy. She had an amazing uh, wedding shower on uh, on Thursday night, and then she's going to be going to L.A. and going to be getting married at the uh, Yester's place in a little while. Yeah. This month, right? Next October twenty something. <laughs> so uh, we're excited for her, and uh, she's leaving for a good good purpose to uh, continue her journey there. So we're happy for her. And is that Maurice back there? Oh, and Maurice is there too. Stand up, Maurice. We got to say hi to Maurice. Okay. If you're going to miss Glendy too much, that's the guy that's taking her away. Uh, and then uh, we have some, uh, a, a new face, but also a, a face that you recognize that's coming back to us from what I hear is Sydney to Zai. So, uh, so there we go. Uh, she's coming back with us for a while. I don't know how long, but we're excited to have her here too. We love Sydney. And uh, today is we're going to be talking about. Uh, it's called created by and for God. And you could tell Jake got a hold of my PowerPoint there because it's a little extra fancy. Taking a few more seconds here. Created by and for God. And we're going to be talking about uh, a one person in particular today who really had a hard time with that in the Bible. Man, did God make me in the right way, the way he was supposed to make me? And we're going to see how Jesus interacts with him. Point number one, created by God. I mean, I, I could almost like, I could almost eat a sandwich by the time that thing switches. Uh, created by God. Uh, that's point number one, created by God. You know, in the beginning, God created the world. I mean, that would have been just amazing to see what God did at the beginning of time where he just moved himself out of the way and created all these amazing things. And I love God at the end. He says, man, I did good. He encouraged himself. He, at the end of the day, he says, man, I was good. You ever done that when you do something and you're excited about it? You're like, man, I did a good job. You're at the gym, you do something, you're like, man, I, I did it today. I finally made it through Stephanie's spin class. Uh, no, I'm, my friend's here who kills me in my spin class, but I'm enjoying it. I, I like it, though. Uh, you know, God created the... The, all the islands and all the, the, the land masses on the earth. I mean, this is a pretty awesome part of it. I wouldn't mind going there about now. That would be pretty cool. 
in the middle of summer to go there. But God created the islands, and it was, it was easy for him. And again, he said it was good. He created the, the two light, the sun and the stars, and we can go up the Joshua Tree. How many people like the outside, outdoors, like nature? I mean, you just go up there, and you're just amazed at the, the Milky Way that you can see all the time. And it's just phenomenal to think about how big and vast the universe is that we're never even going to get to the next star, much less any of the other ones. I mean, that just blows my mind to think about how uh, large the universe is and how, how God cares about each one of us and knows them and us by name. You know, then we get to the, the difficult part, because sometimes it's easy to see God in nature, and we can get all amazed, and it's awesome. But then to look at yourself and see God. You know, when you look in the mirror and you see God created you exactly how you are, and at the end of creating man and woman, he said, it was very good. I did a very good job on that. See, that's where some of us, we have a hard time. We don't see God. We see God created everything else. But when it comes to us, we have a heart. We have difficulty. You know, I don't know if you could tell, but I have this little defect. Uh, my fingers. See, that's straight. See that little. When I straighten my fingers. So when I was growing up, I always would be hesitant about the, my, my hands and people would be looking at hands like, oh, my gosh, what happened to yours? <laughs> And so, from a young age, I made up this story that I was laying on the curb and a truck came by and bounced off of it. And I had people going for years. They would hear me tell the story like years later and go, oh my gosh, I thought that really happened to you. But sometimes we can be ashamed of, of, of what God made. You know, we, we, can, we cannot believe that he created us in an in as amazing way. That when he looks at you, he says it's good. And I did a very good job. And so uh, turn over to John chapter 11. I mean, John chapter 9. And I'm going to start reading that. I left my Bible up my chair here. So turn over to John chapter 9. And we're going to start reading about a guy who probably didn't feel like he was made very well. It says, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the man's eyes. He spit on the ground, made some mud with saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Amazing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they demanded. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and, I, and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and then 
I could see. You know, imagine what it would have been like for Jesus to come upon this guy who could never see, and everyone around him, everyone in his life was telling him that you're blind because you're in sin. You're blind because either your parents sinned so badly that it got passed down to you, or because you did something and now God is punishing you for a sin. So imagine you're born, imagine you hear that question your whole life. People asking you, well, who sinned that you're like this? From a young age, and after a while, when people tell you that you're nothing, and that you're junk, and that you're evil. I mean, when people ask you that question, you got to feel like, man, I must be evil. And so any bad thought you have, you take it to that place where you say, see, I am evil because I had this bad thought and now it, it really must be true. They were really right. I must have sinned. And so that's what happens when we're broken as people, when we either through people outside of us or through ourselves, tell ourselves that we're, we're junk, we're, we're, we're stupid, we're ugly, we're whatever. After a while, we do something that falls into that category and we start to own that. Anybody? Can anybody relate? Don't raise your hand. Okay? We, that, that's all of us, right? We all feel that way. So imagine this guy, how much he must have felt that, to have Jesus come up and initiate with him I mean, there's so many people, there's a couple guys that Jesus was walking and they wanted to get his attention and he just kept walking and they were screaming at the top of their lungs and everybody's telling them to stop and Jesus made them forcefully go all the way over to get to Jesus. But not this guy. I feel like he must have known that this guy was so broken that he was moved to just approach him and initiate with him without him doing anything. That's the kind of compassion that Jesus had. And you could, when you read the passage here, he just got in this major gargantuan argument with all the religious peoples right before, where he's telling them that he was greater than Abraham and they were wanting to kill him. And he told them they were sons of Satan. And right after that, he's not all twisted up after we, like we get after a big argument. Right? We have an argument and we replay it about a thousand times and we wonder what happened. And, you know, we, we kind of curse the person that we're arguing with under our breath because they, they, whatever they did to us, you know. And some of you don't think you do that. You do that. <laughs> I can't believe they did that to me. But Jesus was so confident and so at peace and so secure with who he was that right after a huge argument, he just was calm enough to walk over to the gentlest person around and make some mud and put it on his eyes. I mean, what a, what a crazy way to heal somebody. Here, let me spit on the ground and make some mud and put it on your eyes. And he, he did this a few different times. Uh, but this was the first time that he ever uh, healed somebody that was born blind. So you can imagine 
the guy, the, the, the blind man, as he heard about all these miracles that Jesus is doing, going, I wonder if he could heal me. I mean, I hear all these stories after stories, but I don't hear anything about a man born blind. I never heard that before. And to have Jesus come up to him and initiate with the dust on the ground, the same dust that we were created out of, and create sight. And to say that this happened so that the works of God can be done in your life. That all that suffering was so that you can glorify God. But wait a second. I thought I was this way because I was a sinner. I thought I was this way because of all of my parents' sins. I thought I was this way because of all the evil things that I did. And now you're telling me that God did this so that I can be used by him? So that he can use me to shine the light. Wow. That was life changing. And he went to the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So you've got to love the irony here. That Jesus is just arguing with all these religious people and he heals this guy and he comes back with the story and says, yeah, I was healed by Jesus. Remember the guy you just argued with? And he sent me to the pool called Sent because we all know that he was sent by God. And they hated him too. So immediately they hated the blind guy as well. You can read the rest of that. But they kicked him out of the synagogue. His parents even disowned him and said, you know, I don't know. He's my son, but I'm not sure how he was healed. You might want to ask him because they didn't want to get kicked. They didn't want to get kicked out of the temple also. And all of his friends were talking about him. But Jesus was there for him. Because he finally realized, wow, I was created by God just the way I am. And God has a plan for my life. And I want to invite up a, a good friend of mine, Rich Rugsaker now, who's going to share a little bit of his story and how God created him. And how God has been using him and how God has been, you know, working in his life here. And he's going to kind of tie in the, us to the second point here. On, Rich Rugsaker, guys. Yeah, let's turn it on. Coachella Valley Rescue Mission, and on the board of our partner, Health to Hope. And today we have the privilege of visiting uh, the rescue mission today, and we'll be sharing about that in the future uh, coming, coming months. But I did want to share with you my story. Um, you know, I grew up in a uh, Christian household. Uh, went to church on 
I graduated as a, a valedictorian in my high school class. I was all-state in, high, in uh, football, basketball, and baseball. Played, played uh, basketball in college. And yet, by the time I was 27 years old, my world began to fall apart. I was married uh, at that time and had a, a young son who was five years old. And on Christmas Eve of 1991, I found out that my wife was having an affair with another person. And my good little life that had been created crumbled. I found myself out of my house, another person moving into my house, and I literally moved into a hotel on Colorado Boulevard called the Vagabond End. True story. (laughs) And because I had grown up with some faith, I was very disillusioned because I tried to do the things that you should do, yet my life ended up in in an absolute mess. So for two weeks in that hotel, I cried out to God. And I was disillusioned with religion. So it was hard for me. I don't know if it was church, it was the Bible, or I just go directly to God, but I knew if there was really a God, he would help me. So I cried out to God for two weeks. My ex-wife got met on a treadmill at the gym, and disciples of Jesus Christ invited her to church. I came to church to check it out just to see where my son was going, and I became a Christian two weeks later, about 27 years ago. Amen. March 15, 1992, in a pool in Los Feliz at an apartment complex, I thought the sky was going to part. I had so much sin in my life. I've done everything and anything you could think of. I thought I was going to heaven right there. I just never forget it. And my life since then has been a journey. It's been a great journey, and God intended for all those things to happen to use me to reach out to other people. About two years uh, after being in the, uh, the church, I met Renee. Beautiful Renee. Awesome. And we got married as, uh, about two years as a Christian, and then uh, my ex-wife started coming to church and her husband, and they both became Christians. And so the four of us in the same central region were raising a teenage son who became a Christian when he was 16. Shortly after that, Renee and I went in the ministry and were able to serve for about 12 years in the central region. And that was part of my journey. We were laid out, out of the ministry. That was very difficult for us. But as I look back, God had a plan for me. Many people in the church have had struggles with maybe the staff or things that were going on. And me being out of that, we're able to help counsel people, to consult them, to say, hey, you know what, get your attitude right. Maybe what you're seeing is true, but come on, man, we're all brothers and sisters. We've got to love the Lord, right? They're not our enemies. And so my journey has continued uh, in that way, and it's been amazing. Uh, I've worked with Hope Worldwide since 1991 on a pretty limited basis. As you know, once a year, twice a year, we'll do projects. And about two years ago, I was asked to, to be the regional coordinator of all the Hope work. And I thought, well, heck, I'm not doing anything. Why not do that? And so uh, I did that. I have to say it's been amazing. It's really, really has, has changed me. And it's really humbled me. Today, even to be at the mission, to see the look in people's eyes. I'm learning the difference between guilt and shame. Guilt is something that happens when you do something wrong. Shame is how you feel at the core of your soul. And before I became a Christian, I was ashamed. And I, I had a lot of shame deep down in my soul. And to look at people to have shame and know that Jesus is the answer, today was very encouraging because they're doing a lot of great work over there. So other parts of my journey have, have been happening. So this is something that's been happening to me recently. My son Noah, raise your hand over there, Noah. Noah will be 14 tomorrow. Happy birthday in advance. And uh, Renee and I adopted Noah uh, when he was six weeks old. 
And now as a teenager, an adolescent, he has began to question, who is my birth mom? Who's my birth dad? Do I have brothers and sisters? And we're just in this journey of, whoa, that's a little scary. What if he likes birth mom better than Ray? And how's that all going to work out? And so we've been wrestling with this and getting a lot of advice about this. And uh, I went to go see a a brother in the East region. You may know Will and Leanne Neal. They oversee the Hope Work there. And I had an appointment at work that had canceled. I said, hey, Will, what are you doing? He goes, come on down, let's have lunch. He has an adopted daughter. And so he was sharing some of the similar struggles that we're about ready to go through. And Will goes to his uh, bookshelf and hands me uh, this book called The Primal Wound. And it's for understanding the adopted child. And so what I had never realized, that even though Noah came home with us at six weeks old, most infant adoptions, you think, are totally protected from being separated from the mother and feelings that may be associated if you're older. Research has found, though, that being 40 weeks in a mother's womb, being attached physically, mentally, spiritually, there's actually a separation that happens that wounds them to their core, and it's called the primal wound. And the thing that I really struggle with is that I can't take care of that for Noah. We can be the totally, try to be good Christians, good parents, but that's a journey for him that I'll have to hold his hand and walk through with him and God to help him to heal deep down inside. Hold it up here. Okay. So, as God would have it... um, you know, Noah's on this journey. I didn't, I didn't really relate with what he's going through. And so my mother, uh, most of you here probably don't know. And by the way, this is the third time I've shared this story today. So hopefully it's like the fruit of the vine. It gets better with time. But anyway. Uh, my mother died about a year and a half ago. About eight years before that, uh, the father who raised me had assaulted her and left her on the side of the road to die. I had to find her in a broken woman's shelter much like the one we visited today, and brought her home to come live with me to protect her from who I thought at the time was my my real father. So before she died, she came to me and she said, I got something to tell you. And I was like, okay, I don't even know how much more I can take. This is drama life, right? (laughs) So she looks at me and she goes, your daddy raised you is not your real father. And I'm 54 years old. My last name is Rooksager, and I'm like, so this has... I'm not really from the Rooksegers. So anyway, that was kind of a little bit of a slap in the face, sort of a little bit of a what do I do with this? And this is part of my journey, right? I'm grateful to be saved, but now I'm in the situation of, of my core, my primal wound. But God's putting me there to help Noah walk through that. So you probably don't know this, but before I was in the ministry, I, I worked in the uh, private investigation field for about 12 years. I worked for insurance companies, defense law firms. One of my specialties was finding people. So I thought, you know, it's been a long time since I've done that, but I want to find my real biological father. And Google is just great. I mean, the Internet is just crazy with information, right? So it's Labor Day weekend. This is like a couple of weeks ago. Man, I'm firing off. I'm ordering stuff. I'm ordering, you know, memberships to this and that and public records. So I find my biological father in two days. So I'm going, oh, man, what do you, do you call? What, what do you do? 54 years, you've had zero contact. He's never reached out for you. 
I found his high school picture on classmates.com, and it looked an awful lot like me. So anyway, I found out that I had two half-brothers and one half-sister. One is my same age by 10 days. You can do the math on that one. So anyway, I, none of the phone numbers were good. The emails were bouncing back. But the phone number to my half-brother was good. So I text him, and he goes, who is this? I go, this is Rich, and my family's from Michigan, and he says, call me. I picked up the phone, and I called him, and the first sentence he said was, you're my half-brother, aren't you? He goes, I just found out six months ago. And he was just totally stunned, and so was I. I'm like, in this movie, it was just crazy. So we began to talk, and he asked me uh, to give him a week to approach the family to figure out how do we, you know, there's... My biological dad has a wife of 60 years, 81 years old. And how did they break the news? I called them in a week. It was a really rough week, man. I had all kinds of emotions coming up and down. I tried to tell my kids. My kids were like, so does this mean we get to change our last name? (laughs) You know, get rid of the room saying you can't spell the thing, right? Kingsley. My father's name is Kingsley. I go, Richard Kingsley. That sounds, I don't know. Sounds sort of. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, sort of uppity, yeah. So anyway, I waited another week, and I'm just like, I don't think that they want to deal with it. I don't think they really want me to reach out and, and make this connection. So I told my half-brother, I said, I'm going to call him, because I had a cell phone number. I said, I'm going to call him tomorrow, or you can do it with him in private. So he called me at 6.30 in the morning the next day with my biological on the phone, father on the phone, and he introduced me to himself and said, I'm your real dad. So that was just, I didn't even know how to describe that. It's like, really? And why didn't you reach out to me for 54 years? That's all I could think of. And so I'm having this, and this is 6.30 in the morning with my teenage son in the room, and, and I'm talking about this, and I'm just like, really, God? What do I do with all of this? And then he told me, he said, you know, this is going to be the last conversation we're going to have. He said, it's too difficult for my wife. And I basically pleaded with him. I said, I don't know you that well. I don't know if you have faith. I said, I'm a Christian. I said, for 54 years, you've lived in the darkness. It's time for you to come out in the light. You can't be healed from hiding this all this time. And as your son, I deserve to know my family. My half-brother jumped on the phone and ended the conversation. It was going too, too real, too deep. So I hung up the phone, and that's kind of where I'm at right now. I think I'm supposed to share after you share something, right, about communion. <laughs> so I don't want to leave you, like, on a Debbie Downer, because actually in my quiet times and my Bible study, while this has been happening, God has amazingly revealed to me scriptures and a connection with Jesus and what he went through on the cross that really ministered to my soul. And I know that it's not just me. A primal wound just doesn't happen in an abandonment situation. Each one of us in here, I'm sure you have a wound. And you know, it's great to be forgiven, but it's much better to be forgiven and healed. So I want to talk about that after Scott finishes his second point of the sermon.
Amen. Well, thank you, Rich, for uh, for sharing that story. That is uh, that's amazing, and I I didn't know that last part till the end because we we talked a few days ago before they had uh, before they talked. That wasn't exactly what we were hoping for, right? Uh, but God's not done, and uh, I've had conversations like that too, where I don't want to hear what somebody's trying to say. But then I can't sleep at night because I need to hear what they have to say. And uh, so you never know what God is doing. But I appreciate you, uh, your your faith. And, you know, it's amazing how God would lead you through your life and have, help you to have this impact and this potential impact on this whole other family that's already that's already been made, really. Because now each one in that family has to decide, okay, now that I know that he's out there, what am I going to do? Because before I didn't know, now what do I do? And uh, it's funny how God does that. He puts people in our lives that get us to really challenge us, and then we have to think about what are we going to do with that? Are we going to just blow it off? I remember the first time I came to church... We were out till like four in the morning the night before. Me and my buddy, we were both at church. They're having a free lunch the next day. We were college students, so that sounded really good. <laughs> and the minister was talking about, you'll know you're Christians by your fruit, the fruit of your life. It doesn't matter what you say. It matters what you do. And I remember looking at him after the service, and I must have looked like death. Because <laughs> here I am. I'm still hungover. I'm going, you know, my fruit is obvious. And he looks at me, and the first thing he says is, it's okay, Scott, we're, we're good guys, we're okay. And I looked at him, and I was like, you know, did you just miss everything that he just said? <laughs> no, we're not. And at that point in life, he went this way, and I went this way. And we never came together again. We're friends, we're friendly but we had the choice, and he made his choice, and I made my choice. And I kept reaching out to him. I was still friends with him, and he made... So he didn't make one choice. It was choice after choice after choice after choice after choice, and eventually he's all the way over there. And I made choice after choice after choice, and difficult choice after difficult choice, and I was over here because of God's grace. And so it's amazing how one person can start that off and we just heard how rich did that you know he he uh, lit the fuse and it but now everyone has been impacted everyone has to face god just like this blind man who was healed when he was healed it wasn't just his own life in a bubble he affected everyone around him they had to choose jesus or the temple Comfort or Jesus? Difficulty or Jesus? My family or Jesus? And every single person had to choose, including his parents, who chose comfort over their own son. We just read that. And we just heard that. But that's not the end of the story. Isn't that the great part? That we are all created for God that he made us for a purpose because this guy, his life wasn't done. In verse 35, it says, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he had found him, he said, Do you believe 
in the Son of Man. Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. The man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. The Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what, are we blind too? And Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you see, your guilt remains. Jesus was intense. You didn't want to mess with Jesus. If you wanted to choose, he didn't make people choose. But man, when you chose against him, it wasn't fun. And he could be super tender to this guy. And then he could turn around and say, yeah, remember what I said to you before? That still stands. You're not getting off the hook unless you humble yourself. Because you're fighting me. And imagine this guy, he must have felt so great that Jesus is just dealing with all these people that just kicked you out. And you're just like, man, I got Jesus on my side. What can you do to me? I mean, that's how God wants us to live, isn't it? Jesus says, You're the, I'm the one speaking with you. He only gave that away to like a couple people. The woman at the well and him and his disciples. He, other people had to really search to find out who he was. He just told him, hey, I'm the son of man. What a, And he realized that he was created to worship Jesus. Right then. He was healed before, but he wasn't healed spiritually until now. He could see, but he couldn't see fully. So imagine what Jesus did. He heals this guy. He throws him into the lion's den, so to speak, and he doesn't do anything. See, we're called to imitate Jesus. We're created to live like Jesus. So how would you feel to just let your whoever you love the most, suffer. To let them be abandoned. To let them be criticized. To let them be ostracized, kicked out of the church. And you, you could do it. You could just stop it in a second, but you don't. See, because just because he was healed didn't mean that he was where God wanted him to be yet. He didn't really do anything to be chosen by Jesus. He did do something because he had to walk by faith all the way over to that pool to get healed. Imagine how that walk was like, is this really going to happen? Like, what am I doing? Like, I can't even see where I'm going. Like, somebody help me to find this pool. Like, I hope this works. And then he's talking about Jesus, but he doesn't even know Jesus. It's like he's just learning about Jesus. He just says, this guy Jesus told me to go do this, and now I'm healed. And all this bad stuff starts happening to him. He doesn't even know Jesus. He just shares what he knows. 
that was his purpose. And, and then Jesus comes and finds him again and he gets to worship him. That's where he was supposed to be. That was where God created him to be all that time. He didn't create him just to see. Plenty of people see. He created him to worship Jesus and live his life for him. And to be a light for the world. And that's how God created each of us. And yet so many times we don't live that way. We don't live like we have much to share. We don't live like Jesus is right there, got our back. Sometimes as Christians, we walk around with our tail between our legs all the time. Like, oh, I hope I don't, get, I hope I don't offend anyone. I hope, hope people don't think I'm weird. I hope this is, comes across okay. If we could have for just a second a little bit of the passion that Jesus had for this man. He laid down everything for this person. He gave it all up and he was going to give even more. He didn't just have a good day. So many times I live my life and I'm just not even sure what I'm doing. And yet there's something that's been going on recently where there's, there's a passion that we, we got to do more. Yeah. Yeah. That it's not just enough to show up at church and then next week show up at church again. And pass people that are blind all the time and we don't care. Really, because if we really cared, we would figure out a way. If you really want to do something, I don't have to tell you how to do it. If you don't have food and you need to figure out how to eat, you'll find, you'll invite yourself somewhere, you'll go figure it out, you'll go to. When you're desperate for somebody's soul, That's when you're living how you were created to be. That's what God wants from you. Because the story is not about that guy. That, that guy's long gone where he's supposed to be. It's about us. Are we going to live the lives that we were created to live? What will you do to help somebody know God? What kind of passion do you have to get someone to church to be able to have an opportunity to hear the word? To open the Bible with someone. And I'm not yelling at you. I kind of am yelling at you. Because... We're still blind. Because if we really got it, we wouldn't do what we're doing. I know I wouldn't. I don't know what's gotten into me the last few weeks. It has just been a passion of mine that, man, I want to get people for God. I don't know what it's been. It's been a lot of all kinds of stuff. Like, Rich is going through all kinds of crazy stuff. I mean, I don't even have time to tell you all the things that have been going on. 
But the translation is, I need to choose to live the way God created me to live. And it takes, on my, for me, it takes a thousand percent effort. It doesn't take a hundred percent. We have so many things going on. If you're passionate for God, it takes a thousand percent effort to, to really get that across to people and really put the word out there. And really be who we need to be. By God's grace, we're nothing, but God fills us up. When we're desperate, he fills us up. If you feel stretched, that's a good thing. You don't grow until you're stretched. If you feel comfortable and you feel everything's in control, you're not growing. And you're not desperate. And I'm not desperate. And I'm not growing when I'm that way. So let's, as a church, and if you're visiting, God has a plan for your life, too. He has something special created for you that you weren't just created for whatever it is that you were doing before. You're created to help people know God. You're created to worship him. You're created to lift him up. You're created to do great things. You know, we talked about the forging that the guy had to go through. It's not easy to be made into something great. But there's no other way. And God wants to ask you permission. Can I make you into something great? Can I make you into what you were created to be? Will you let me? Will you let me heat it up in your life? Will you let me forge it? Will you let me get you uncomfortable? Will you let me push you to the brink? That's what Jesus went through. So that he could be made into this. It's a Japanese sword, one of the sharpest ones ever made. Took a lot of heat, a lot of pressure, a lot of uncomfortability to make that sword. And that's what God wants to do with us, to make us into what we are created to be. Because I don't know about you, but I'm not there. I don't feel like I'm there, what I'm created to be. I still want to get there. And I pray that you have that passion, too. We're going to have Rich come up, as he said, and close this out.